Welcome to Hellbent for Metal, the podcast that's here at the bottle top. Whiskey, dancing, disco hop. Now all the boys are after us, and we're not going to make a fuss. I, like, I definitely feel like I should know what that's from. You bloody should, yes. Is this where I lose my gay card again? The, no, no, this is where you lose your metal card. Because the next line oh. is, I'm running free, yeah, I'm running free, yeah. It's Iron <laughs> Maiden, dear. It's what Iron Maiden uh, well, always play in their own but like, surely you must even you must like the Paul Diano stuff if if you don't like the Bruce stuff. Because all the people who don't like the Bruce stuff love the Paul Diano stuff, unless they uh, don't like metal. I don't know. Like they've had another one though, haven't they? There was another singer. We don't talk about Bla- Blaze Bailey. Oh, do we not? Okay. Right. No, no. Paul. <laughs> um, we shouldn't really talk about Paul either because he's he's, he's 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 made some poor choices since. Um, but. Anyone who tells me running free is just one of the greatest odes to being young and absolutely ready to kind of destroy is is frankly an idiot. It's it's just a brilliant, brilliant song. I think if if you don't have running free, I think you don't get hit the lights. That's the kind of continuity in that they kind of their spiritual um, successes. Well, surely I must have heard it then. <laughs> Probably. I'll, uh, I'll report back. <laughs> it's it's quite popular in certain heavy metal circles, of which I'm certainly part. Um, I've and uh, Bruce, to his credit, nails it. Like I've had so much fun whenever they played that. And um, actually, I think the first time I saw Maiden, I didn't really. L- I think I knew that song, but wasn't really into it. And then I saw it live and went, "I'm a fucking moron. This is one of the best songs I've ever heard." Um, and now it's like if. if if I were to see Maiden and they didn't play that, I didn't care. What, don't care what else they're playing. I'd be really disappointed. Anyway, enough about Iron Maiden because otherwise this could be a really long podcast. This is Hellbent for Metal, the LGBTQ plus heavy metal podcast in partnership with Notfest. I'm Tom Dare. Privit. That's high in Ukrainian solidarity. Uh, and with me, as always, is my completely innocent, sober, chaste, and never sweary co-host Matt Rushton. All of those things are true about you, right, mate? Yeah, definitely. That's exactly who I am. I've never put a foot out of line in my life. No, absolutely not. It's, you're just straight and narrow is, is is all you're interested in. Absolutely. We should uh, also give a you know welcome to our new permanent co-host. He's uh, he's quietened down now. <laughs> what, you mean the dog? Yeah. <laughs> he, he hasn't quietened down at all. He's just far enough away from the mic that you can't Never. hear him. <laughs> he will quieten down eventually. He's fine. He's fine. He's um, he's actually quite a happy dog at the moment, which is is nice. Um, although he's teething, bless him. He's he's he doesn't like crunchy food anymore. Anyway, again, let's not talk about my dog. Otherwise, we're going to be here a very long time. Uh, we're going to begin this week with uh, something that's even more gay than my apricot poodle. It's an in my kingdom queer. This is where we talk to someone from the LGBTQ plus community who helps make metal happen. Now. Absolutely ages ago, we had a flood of people say they wanted to come on the show, and we're still working through them. And one of the ones we kind of most wanted to make happen, but hadn't really had the kind of the opportunity, mostly time difference because of it. Anyway, the one of the kind of bands we most wanted to get on was a group who contacted us by the name of Gacy DC, who we can probably, if you can't guess from that who they are, they really are not trying. Gacy DC are an ACDC tribute band, only with a big difference. For one, they changed the lyrics to be, shall we say, tad not safe to work? It's probably a bit more than the tad, but yeah, 
it's de- it's very gay lyrics that they use. Um, they also visually don't look like ACDC so much as they do a cross between sort of ACDC, I guess, but Judas Priest, Turbo Negro, and, I don't know, the village people a little bit, I guess. Um, basically, they are a very, very gay ACDC tribute band, and you cannot possibly mistake them for anything else. Yeah, so they... Well, I, I spoke to three of them. I spoke to Chris, Brian, and Steve from the band about what they do and about how they've sort of gone down in metal circles and how they turn the whole idea of ACDC on its head, really. And uh, they're very gay and very nice, and uh, this is what happened. I'm Chris Freeman, and I'm the singer of Gay CDC, and I am gay, for sure. I am Steve uh, McKnight, um, otherwise known as Anus Young. I'm a guitar player in Gay CDC, and I'm as gay as Christmas in Bloomingdale's. <laughs> I'm Brian Welch. I am the drummer with Gay CDC, and uh, I am just as gay, if not more, than Chris and Steve combined. Thank you all for joining us. Um, I guess we'll just start by jumping straight into it and ask each of you individually, sort of, what have your general experiences been like of being an out gay guy in metal over the years? Oh my. Um, actually, it was very difficult because, you know, um, metal, when I, my first live appearance was for the Northwest Metal Fest in 1981 um, up in Seattle. And it was all about women. You know, it was all about um, dressing up for the girls and it was all about the girls. And if you weren't about the girls, then you were not really um, metal enough. So um, I kind of fell back out of that a little bit because I just knew that I was never going to be able to compete in that sort of area. So um, I thought it was about the music, honestly, but you know, no, it was about making sure you, you got the girls. So, so it was always difficult, you know, it was always difficult. It's a tough, it's tough to be nowadays. Of course, it's much easier, especially after the eighties, uh, all that hair metal kind of looking like the the girls now, you know, dressing like the girls, uh, wearing more makeup than girls. That sort of changed the tone of everything, I think. But um, initially, yeah, metal was, you know, how how hard can you be? Well, as, as a as a drum tech in the 80s, working for a lot of those bands, I can say that even though those bands looked like girls, the homophobia was rampant um, during during that time. And as a gay man, I knew I was gay since I was nine, um, but I wasn't out and nor was it a, a safe space to even talk about coming out. So I just didn't. I worked for bands because I loved the music. Uh, I didn't care about girls and I didn't care about drugs, but I, I got to a bird's eye view of the inner workings of of the, the, the metal scene. And, you know, surprisingly enough, we are friends with some of the people that I grew up admiring and having heroes and they have come full circle and they even have gay people, gay relatives in their lives. So it's completely different now, but back then it was, yeah, the image spoke very differently than what the, uh, what people really believed and thought. My experience kind of evolved over time, I guess. Um, yeah, it was all about the girls and, and uh, you have to make yourself look <laughs> kind of like them. But also that you um, you had to be a, a be available in some way to girls because otherwise they're not going to buy your T-shirt or your CDs or convince their boyfriends to buy your stuff for them 
or whatever. So um, that would happen. But behind the scenes, I noticed that even though there was this front of being very phobic, um, there was all kinds of stuff going on backstage. I mean, you know, all kinds of strange things with and not strange to us. We were like, why are you doing this? Why do you have the public appearance of doing something and then turn around and you're playing with guys and you're watching, watching people undress in the dressing room and, you know, in search of a blowjob. Like, why are you doing So there was a, it was a lot of confusion there. When I, when I did finally come out, I, I have some friends that are, have done pretty well in the music business. And they said, did you think that we would reject you you're still the same steve that we we liked before do you how do you think we would have treated you and i said well you have to look at the environment then very different now to brian's point um they've all come around and they're they're actually very supportive um and it's been it's been wonderful more recently yeah it's changed considerably but yeah it was uh it was kind of kind of you could lose your job brian yeah. would lose his job if he came out if he came out and was working for a band whatever band it was um, if he came out, they would have, because he says, I'm not having a fruit stand on my tour bus. I actually did have a friend who was on the Bon Jovi tour who was gay and came out and they, they put him off the tour. They got him a work uh, position in the management company, but they took him off the road because you're sharing a tour bus with 10 other guys. Right. And someone's going to have a problem with it. You know, and it, it, it's in stark contrast to if you were in a band, you could be gay or perceived to be gay. Um, and for me, I, I think it all stems back to like the glam rock movement. So people could look like that, but if you worked for a band, you were doing it for the girls or the drugs, or, you know, you, you just, you couldn't be gay, but if you were in the band, you could, you could play that part. Um, even if you weren't gay and we knew there were plenty of, uh, front men and singers and people in bands that were gay, but no one really, it wasn't public. We, we just kind of knew it. We could just yeah. kind of tell. And in the background, I mean, you had people like Bill Coin, you know, managing Kiss and Sean Delaney showing them how to move and stuff. It's like, yeah, the whole thing is informed by gay people. <laughs> you know, it's the, all of that, all that stuff in the background, David Geffen. I mean, on and on and on, all these people that are gay in the background. But, you know. For sure. Well, I mean, you've all spoken about how much better it's got um, over the years. So have you got any sort of stories that you can tell us of? Uh, any particular moments over the last sort of however many years of people making you feel particularly welcome and sort of letting you know that, you know, you're okay here? Yeah, I think the biggest one for me um, has been when we first played Ultimate Jam Night at the Whiskey. And because Ultimate Jam Night is a, is a group of musicians that are all sort of like, hey, we're not doing anything. Uh, I'm going to do a song with so-and-so. So, you know, they actually pair up people like the bass player from Quiet Riot will play with the drummer from Mr. Big. And, you know, the singer's going to be, you know, whoever it is, it's all, it's just, they just mix and match. So every song is a new group of people. And, you know, we came in and they, we got invited on, which was great in the first place. We went on there and people were like, you know, the whole thing with their arms folded and, you know, like looking at us like, oh, come on, you, you know, you've got nothing. Yeah. You, you, yeah, you know, come on, you got nothing in those pants. And, you know, then we got up there and we just nailed it. And we came off and everybody backstage was like, oh my god and now we're the best friends and you know it's like that moment for me if you can turn the people at the whiskey around to the point where they go 
wow, that was amazing, you know, and truly mean it, not just like, you know, glad, you know, glad handing you on your way up the stairs, but, you know, really meant it like that was fantastic. Thank you. That was like, ah, vindication. And it's good because, you know, the, the analogy I always use and I've, you know, I've played sports in the past. I played hockey and um, soccer and skateboarding or whatever. And gay people in a band was always like neither kickball team would choose them because they think, oh, God, the weak link. Like they're gay. They can't possibly play. And then we show them that, oh, wow. Okay. They're actually serious. They know what they're doing, you know, and, and it was, it was great to be underestimated there. We turned them around and yeah, now they're very supportive. And, um, you know, in fact, we are playing there tomorrow night on Tuesday, the March 29th at the whiskey and another jam night, they asked us, we're going to do a mini set. So yeah, it's been, that's been wonderful. Um, and for me, uh, you know, I've had friends in the music business, some of which I've actually recorded with, they were in pretty big bands. And this was in the early 2000s. And it was really nice to be in, in, in my friend's house in his recording studio up in the mountains. And he just said, he, he just wanted to um, dispel any sort of thoughts or uh, like, like I, I have to still be closeted or something like that. And he said, do you think I have a problem with you being gay? He says, I don't have any problem with it. And we were recording with Ozzy's drummer, Randy Castillo, before he passed away. And we were, we were working with him as a form of physical therapy to get him behind a drum kit. So we were recording with him. And he says, his sister's a lesbian. She's a big lesbian drummer. And she's, you know, it's just, you're, you're part of the family. So we have no problem with this. So he was sort of like saying, just relax. And that was really nice to, because I'd known him um, when we were starving musicians before he got into, my friend got into Ozzy Osbourne and different bands. We were roommates and um, it was really nice to hear because I had history with him. That's another moment. And I think to, to Chris's point, I think we've been accepted because when we started this band, we all shared the same common belief that we wanted to be the band that we wish we'd seen growing up. It, you know, we're doing ACDC because it runs in our DNA and we absolutely worship ACDC. Um, but if it was any other band, it could have been Kiss, it could have been Queen. We would still be approaching it the same way. We wish we had seen this band growing up with the lyrics that, that we've changed um, as, as gay kids. Um, it was hard for me to relate to ACDC lyrics because uh, I, I knew I was gay. Some of them I could relate to, others I couldn't. But we all decided we wanted this band to be a show. We wanted that we didn't want to look like every other ACDC cover band. We wanted to bring something new to it, and we wanted to put on a show, whether it was five people, fifty, or five hundred. We wanted everyone that came there to feel like they got a show, and so we decided we all agreed we had to do the music spot on, spot on, absolutely, because we revere it. We we absolutely worship the music. But we wanted to have fun with all the other stuff. We didn't want to look like them, and we wanted the lyrics to be different. So um, I think that's why when we played the whiskey the first time, there was such a reaction because the, the people in those bands started those bands the way we started our band. They wanted a band that put on a show. They saw where we were coming from, and they saw what the end result was. I think that's that's the point of us being accepted. We weren't just some little garage band that was like got lucky and played the whiskey one time. We firmly believe in what we're doing and there's a message behind it. You know, there's a message that even if one gay kid 
who's questioning or needs help or needs inspiration sees a YouTube video or hears us and it gives them the courage to, to, to come out and pick up an instrument and learn music and start a band, then we've done what we're, we're supposed to do because yeah. that's still needed very much in this world. Yeah, definitely. Inspiration yeah. and people to be courageous, to be who they are. Yeah. There's still people being thrown off of the bill off of the top of buildings and jailed and tortured for being gay. So yeah. as long as that still exists in the world, then we have a place. Um, another, pl another time was Sebastian Bach at one of our shows, um, came up backstage and uh, and apologized for his remarks uh, and the t-shirt he wore oh. when he was 18. And he, he's like, you know, I really want to tell you, I'm very sorry that I did that. I was a stupid 18 year old kid who didn't have the life experience to know what I actually had done. And he said, I, you know, I just want you to know as a gay musician, you know, I, I think you're, what you're doing is fantastic. And, um, and, and I apologize from the bottom of my heart for, for all those remarks that were hurtful. And that was like, you know, Sebastian Bach, you know, to come up to somebody like us um, and, and to say something like that. And now he's a friend of ours. So, you know, that was another turning point. Like, wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's just seeing people's attitudes change, isn't it? I think we uh, covered Sebastian Bach actually recently on the show um, when he stormed out of an interview for um, the radio host's remark about his friend Rob Halford. Um, and it's cool, like, you know, we, we say we want to be able to teach people. We want to be able to show people that we're just like them. You know, there's no differences. And that's what you were saying about how you sort of have won those people around at the whiskey. Like, it's bittersweet because we shouldn't have to do that. But I guess it makes it, much more worth it when when that does happen i mean yeah. yeah we we it's right in the name i mean we knew we were going to be a, <laughs> of a target when it says gay cdc <laughs> and the gay is in rhinestones you know it's bedazzled so there you go with the boa on the on the lightning bolt so yeah we come out and say it for a reason but it's 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 somewhat confrontational but it gets people thinking and it's the, our goal is to really educate, but also disarm people with entertainment. So we're not getting on a soapbox. We have stories yeah. to tell so, some, you know, we have fairly interesting stories to tell growing up in, in the US, you know, and really growing up for our, in our case, in a time when you could get fired, you, you, your life could be canceled for being gay, literally. Yeah. And it was allowable at employers. I mean, it was allowable for people to refuse service. I mean, constant. Mm. And it was allowable for music production people to refuse to work with you because they said, I'm not going to work with those faggots. I'm done. Yeah. Go, go, go play in some other little town, go play in a gay bar, get out of my arena. You're not playing here. Go away. Right. And so, um, we, we took it as all right. Um, now we have this opportunity to come out and do this and we play a combination of, um, gay events. You know, we've done pride festivals because we changed the lyrics and actually some of the melodies, you know, still staying true to the spirit of gay CDC and, or ACDC and, and the music, um, because it falls in that area, there's really no licensing things, but we, we found ourselves at being able to play gay, gay pride festivals, but also playing straight places, which was really important for us. I mean, just to like come in there and saying, well, for the next hour, this is a gay bar, you know, <laughs> and really put on a show and entertain people and um, people are some there, you know, it disarms them. You know, Steve brings up a very good point about like, we have stories to tell. And I'm thinking like during our show, each each song kind of tells a story. And it's funny to play to a predominantly straight audience and change TNT to PNP 
And knowing that 90% of the crowd has no idea what PNP <laughs> means, but they're singing along and they're raising their fists and, and, and having a great time. Chris does a preface. He kind of says, you have your version of it. This is party and play and kind of gives a little bit of history of what that is. Um, you know, <laughs> and for some of the songs, some of them speak for themselves. I mean, we have a song like Big Balls. You don't really have to change much. Yeah, yeah sure. we changed nothing on that song. <laughs> Just the fact that it's a guy in a dress singing those lyrics actually changes the whole tone, you know? And oh my God, because it's true. <laughs> we all have big <laughs> And uh, we've been doing uh, Put the Finger in You, and let's just say for, for stage theatrics, that I think the audience gets an eyeful. And um, yeah, so we have fun with, with the songs, and we kind of bring the audience on to you know, a, a, a story with each one and sort of a journey down what our lives are like. We can kind of poke fun at some of the stuff uh, because we've lived it, you know, yeah. um, and we can we can bring them along for the ride and, and make them feel like they're in on the joke and then not the joke. And more importantly, we're not the joke anymore. Yeah, for sure. Right. Um, and you mentioned about the aesthetic. Uh, I sort of wanted to ask about that because I've seen some of your videos on YouTube and, you know, you've, you look fabulous and you've got all the costume changes down and everything. Um, how important is it for you guys to sort of let people know what they're in for when you first come on stage, especially at like festivals, if people just were to wander in and sort of see you guys? Oh, my God. Well, you know, basically, to Brian's point, what we did was we went back to ACDC and said, OK, here's what makes up their aesthetic, you know, it was bl uh, black jeans, uh, t-shirts, you know, everyone looks the same except for Angus in the, in the schoolboy outfit. So we thought, okay, we're going to keep the music tight. We're going to make some changes to the lyrics, but um, the whole presentation, we wanted to flip it. So instead of being, everybody looks uniform, everybody now looks totally different from each other. Yeah. Or um, now instead of, you know, black t-shirts or rock t-shirts and jeans now we're we're wearing anything but those so um it was it was important to um for me because i thought that was part and when i saw this thing in my head i was like okay it's got to be that you know it's got to be absolutely out uh, you know over the top with the looks um so uh it's very important i think and you know in terms of attracting an audience um, when, once they hear that music and especially we have, you know, right, right here below me in this, in this tile below me is, uh, is a, an amazing guitar player. So as soon as people hear it, they can't re it's like, that is a killer guitar player. I'm going to go, you know, whether he's wearing a, a, a you know, a schoolgirl kilt. <laughs> so hopefully they're, they're being drawn to the music part of it. And then they get the spectacle as well. We've had people that have definitely come to the shows and afterwards tell us, you know, we came here expecting to hate you. We came here expecting to laugh and say, oh, these bozos, you know, but they're by this by the first song, they're absolutely floored with exactly what Chris said, with what Steve does. Um, and they know that we mean business. And I think after they they get over the shock of what we look like and then they looking at like Steve is absolutely killing it. They look at each one of us. And we're all bringing 100% to the game. None of us are resting on the laurels. You have Glenn, who absolutely is like, you know, obviously wants to be a front man himself um, and just is part of the show. Um, and we have our new guitarist, Clint, which, you know, when he joined, he put us on 100% um, mile per hour. We weren't <laughs> expecting. We, we left the gate of that one. 
And I'm sort of just back there holding it down, but I get to see the best show in the world from, from, you know, from where I'm sitting and going, no wonder people really love coming to see us because we all give it a hundred percent and people know that we mean business and they, they leave going, holy shit, we totally respect you guys. And that's the thing we did this. We got this band started for shits and giggles. We didn't expect it to be come, come along this far, but after the first couple shows, we saw what could happen. We saw what we could do, and that changed everything. I think um, one of the things that was important to us, I mean, is it's not that people come up and say um, a certain amount of respect. That's fine. We were doing it for fun, but we realized that we have to over, kind of overcompensate for people to almost put them at ease. You know how gay people have to think on behalf of the people that are around you? Yeah, you have sure. to kind of help them into it. We needed to make sure that this music was really good and that we were operating like, you know, a machine. And we did have producer, a couple of producer guys come up and say the feedback was really interesting. They said, you don't just come out and play your song. You have a wall of just sound. It's powerful. You come at people. And not only do you do that, you, there's so much to look at. It isn't the, you know, ACDC, if you watch them, um, be Everybody, you know, obviously the bass player and rhythm, Malcolm, they stand back by their amps unless they need to come forward on the stage to sing background vocals. And then they just, they let the singer and Angus take the stage. And we kind of have four front men that just go for it. <laughs> so it's a bit different. It's a bit different there, but um, we needed to make sure the music was really on. So we, we, we say, okay, we'll take that excuse off the table. You know, we're not, we're not that gay kickball team. You know, it's we, a little bit of an adjustment, true. Yeah. It's a, it's an adjustment for the audience to sort of like, oh, what am I seeing? It's not what I'm expecting to hear or, or what I'm expecting to see when I'm listening to this music. Yeah, and it's it's okay to be unpredictable, a little bit unpredictable. Yeah. And there's there's definitely an unpredictability in the shows. <laughs> there, there's an element of a, of a whirling top. You kind of don't know where it's going to go. I've always liked a little bit of danger in my rock and roll. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. you never yes, know what you're going to get <laughs> yeah. and obviously you, you guys have all said about how much better it is these days than how it used to be uh, but how much difference do you sort of notice in terms of uh, acceptance towards queer people in the metal industry or in the music industry really as opposed to sort of in your day-to-day -day life and society well I think you know um, I have another band called Pansy Division and when yeah. we started there was nobody else in the music business that was out. You had people like uh, Prince or even in the late uh, 70s or, or early 70s, uh, Mick Jagger, Lou Reed and, you know, people like that that were flirting with bisexuality and all of that. But nobody would commit and say, yes, I'm gay. Yeah. Um, and so we thought, well, you know, I'm. And especially because once I had met John in Pansy Division, within a few weeks, Freddie Mercury died. And we were like, this is why we have to do this. We have yeah. to do this um, because we don't want to live in a world where gay people can't be musicians. You know, I'm a musician. That's how I, I, be, I was a musician before I knew I was gay. So I, uh, I kind of always felt like, okay, that's me. I, I identify as a musician and I identify as gay as well, but I, there's got to be a place for me here. Um, and I think that since we did that tour with Green Day, everything changed because 
on that tour, we met Michael Stipe, Melissa Etheridge, the Indigo Girls, um, Rob, Rob Halford later on, all those people. And we said, it's your turn to come out. Come on. You know why we just did this. Come out, please. And within, and Katie Lang, people like that, we met all these people. And within 18 months of that tour, they all came out and did not have any repercussions to their, to their careers. So I think starting then, so what was that, 94, 95? So I think after that, things started to open up and people were more comfortable to kind of like push those walls out a little bit and say, okay. And now you've got, now you've got artists that are out from the beginning. They don't have to start, you know, like Adam Lambert, he didn't have to, he didn't have to come out. He was like, duh, I'm gay, come on, you know? Um, there's, there's many others, I'm just drawing blank cards right now, but. I know there are there's uh, artists that can be gay from the get go, and that to me is like. Whoosh. And now, kind of sports figures, I see a trend yes. there that's happening, and and because they've always been there, this is this is just we're we're just revealing this facet of who they are. Right, yep. and I I can't stress enough about Pansy Division because on the music front, Pansy Division were probably the only ones that were really pushing the envelope and saying this is who we are. Um, you know, you you had groups like ACT UP and and the whole HIV AIDS thing was happening. So the, the, the tone of culture was changing around that time. Um, and we were fighting against- We had a president that would never say AIDS. Exactly. So there, were, there was lots of things happening over on here that were changing people's thoughts and attitudes, but on the music front, uh, and I'm speaking as a Pansy Division fan because they spoke to me. Um, I was a fan before I even met Chris. Pansy Division was really kind of breaking down those doors and saying, it's about time. And, and we, Gacy DC wouldn't exist if that hadn't happened. Yeah, for sure. It's quite possible. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to think that it might've been somebody else. In fact, in, in Pansy Division, we kind of had this joke that we're like, okay, we busted open the doors. All the good bands are going to come after us. <laughs> you know, they're going to, you know, tromp right over us. Uh, and then, you know, and it didn't happen, but not in those numbers that we thought, but, um, yeah, we were always hoping that somebody would, would now break that door open even wider and wider and wider. So, um, so it's, it's just fitting that we would be doing this. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's hope that continues. And, um, on that positive note, I think we'll leave that there. Uh, Steve, Chris, Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Matt, thank you so yeah, much for having us. us. Really thank you, Matt. Thank it. you very, very much. We're honored to be on this podcast. Thank you, Gacy DC. We are really so glad we could at long last make that happen. Absolutely fascinating stuff from them. And, you know, I think that's what well, certainly taught me. I don't know about you, but it certainly taught me a load of stuff about an era that I just, I don't really kind mm -hmm. of, I don't really understand all that well, just because there yeah, aren't too really many metal gays to tell us about it. We will cross your fingers, though. Have a, another In My Kingdom queer for you next week. But for now, all that talk of ACDC has got me in the mood for a dirty drink done dirt cheap. Are you in, Matt? Sorry. We wander casually, like we aren't on a mission, honest, uh, into the Hate Crew Gay Bar. This, for anyone new around here, is our heavy metal gay bar where we come every week to put some music into the jukebox. Uh, just because it's already got all the classics doesn't mean it can't benefit from some new stuff after all. We've got one choice each for you this week. Uh, my pick is a record that sounds like Wilderun went on an Enciferum binge and then listened to a jazz record. It's... 
Wait, hang on. I've got a mistake in, in the planner for this week's show, Matt, because it, it says here this is your pick, but that that can't be right. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't really know what's happened here. Is this because you've been ill? Have you been that ill that your music taste has changed? I, I genuinely, honestly, like, it's fucking weird, isn't it? So this is the second album from um, a Canadian band called I Am Air. It's called Fishing for an Apparition. Um, I just stumbled across this on Bandcamp, and was in their bio it says that they're like a progressive folk metal band drawing influences from all genres which i thought was one of the most pretentious things i've ever heard so i sort of needed yes. to check it out um now obviously it's not all genres but i got like three tracks in and i was like you know what that's not as far-fetched as a thing to say as i thought it might be um the first track is yeah i mean there's the folk and then it just sort of decides to be like a heavier power metal band for the last like minute the vocal harmonies are fucking wicked on that and the second track sort of turns into like Incubus as a jazz band and then goes all death metal and a huge poppy chorus. Like, what the fuck is going on? Tom, I fully expected you to hate this, but my final listen this morning, I saw the Hellbent for Metal logo on their Bandcamp supporters page. <laughs> What's so that you know I've already bought it? So you're into this, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, before I, I tell you what I, I think about this, can I just check, is this some kind of advanced level troll that I am too <laughs> literal to get, right? Because I'm genuinely serious that I I heard this and went, this, is, this must be a piss take, because everything that I've brought on in any capacity that sounds anything <laughs> like this, you have loathed. Like, the yeah. nicest thing you said about anything was that Wilderan record, and you said, well, it's not very good, it sounds like Opeth. And that was the, that was the thing you were most positive about. So for, for me to, to hear this and just go, well, I mean, obviously, this is in, in, incredibly me. I mean, it couldn't be more me if it you know, had an immortal hoodie and a Babylon 5 tattoo. But it's not you in so many no. ways. Well, that was one of the things I was going to ask you. Like, was it instant for you? Because for me, it wasn't. Yes. It was just like, uh, well, the first, like, maybe two or three listens I had to it, it, it was more intrigue than enjoyment. I was like, what what, what the fuck are they doing? Because it's mental. It's completely mental. Like, it's, it's a ridiculous album. But then I was like, hang on. I actually do like this. <laughs> like, it's catchy as fuck. It's so infectious. Like, it's been in my head constantly for the last couple of weeks since I've heard it. Like, just not even choruses, just like hooks and everything of each song. It's ridiculous. Okay, I'm going to to say this now. If you say anything bad about Winter Sun when I bring some of their music on, <laughs> I'm going to be very, very grumpy. I mean, well, you, you can say what you like about their business practices. That's fair game. But if you say anything bad about, you know, the, their music we're gonna have you know cut there will be some colorful language and also to think you had the temerity to accuse borknagar of sounding sea shanty-ish last week <laughs> yeah that is fair how very <laughs> day i mean i'm really uh, also that you say was it instant the the point i got it and went oh no this is wicked was track three gallows because it sounds but, like two yeah. of spades by ensiferum yeah, it does a little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> Which I brought on and you despised, and I just heard this and went, well, that's, I mean, they clearly have listened to as much Interferum as I have, and I approve yeah. of that sort of thing, but, and but, yes, yeah. please. Yeah, that song is like fucking bluegrass pyramel, isn't it? Like, I, what's happened to me here? The, um, the, oh yeah, on it. When he screams that, I, in the, <laughs> that gets me every fucking time. It, it is loads of fun. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, right? If you go into this expecting kind of 
uh, kind of natural form and, and kind of seamless structures. Forget it. It's it's all over the place. It's it's bonkers. I do kind of get the slight vibe of something that was written in lockdown over email because it does sound like a a bunch of different people have done a bunch of different stuff and it's been stuck together a little bit but i kind of don't mind that because it is so much fun that it kind of works now when i say that that sounds like it's not well made it is right and it's uh, individual songs do kind of hang together the album as a whole just absolute kind of they say all genres I hate that when people say, "Oh, I like everything." Oh, really? So mm. you like you like Kate Bush and death metal and jazz and Lady Gaga and you know fucking Mad Acid House and stuff like that from the eighties? Do you like all of that? Do you? No, of course you don't. Very few people do. Um, I have met like two who are genuinely just totally eclectic, but most but people most of that's met, just so... like Western stuff anyway. Yeah, exactly. I have met the occasional person who is really eclectic, but what they tend to be is really superficial. Like they have no in-depth knowledge about anything, but they have like tangential knowledge about yeah. loads of stuff. Most people will say, "No, I fucking hate this." Like most people who are, who, know, who actually like music will say, "No, I, this kind of thing I despise." Including the, some of the most eclectic people I've know I know have said well, all of that shit. Like, like okay, there were like two good new metal bands, but you know everything else in the world is great. Like that's I'm not that's not me talking that I've heard other people say that they are really eclectic though I am and the problem with being really eclectic is that it's it's not going to make sense it can't it's not supposed to so you know the bit on uh, retake control that sounds like Pearl Jam I, I, unfortunately I do want to delete you know it, you know it's, just, it's the Lars Ulrich's dad I would if if that were me I would delete that. Yeah, that that it's just because it sounds like Pearl Jam, and anything that sounds like Pearl Jam, find me some gasoline and matches. But overall, it's really, really, really fun. The album, right? That's the thing that keeps it going. There is exactly. some depth to it, but it's yeah. it, what makes it enjoyable is the fact that they're clearly having a blast writing the music. Yeah, like I said, just massive choruses and hooks all over the place. I've just got like a smile on my face for the whole length of this it's just a party and it's only like 35 minutes so you know there aren't much better ways to spend that sort of time and you mentioned about how it sort of sounds like cut and pasting parts i do get that but like sonically like, like the production on this i think is fucking wicked because there's so much going yeah. on and there's like so many instruments and everything but like each one has its own place and everything is emphasized well where it needs to be and i think that's impressive for something that's so I don't want to use the word wacky because that sort of has negative connotations, but it's just so fucking batshit. Yeah, it, it's, it is a really, really skillfully constructed album on a technical basis. It's just on a mute, on a kind of a narrative. If you're looking for a musical narrative, just to, to, don't bother. Just kind of let it wash over you. No. I, is it the jazz that makes it for you? Because I've been wanting it's, to ask no, this because it's, it's the, the the moment I heard the saxophone, I went, "Well, that's that answers everything." No. um... Yeah, I mean, that's obviously, it's, you know, there is a bit of that on a few songs, but it's, I, I like that no more or no less than all the other stuff. It's just, I guess what it is, it's just like how many influences and how many genres they use, um, but still manage to make it really memorable and actually fun. Like, I just think that's a weird skill to master, but they've done it. Yeah. The drummer used to be in a band called Operas, who you would either really love or hate almost as much as you hate food poisoning. Because like, they are kind of, you know, the the power metal that's really over the top, but isn't kind of, it's not over the top in a kind of, I have not met a girl in the last seven years kind of thing. 
So it's not it's not Rhapsody of Fire. It's much more um, uh, Marco Garau, right? That <laughs> they're much more that I say they're Marco Garau. They're much more song oriented. Operas's last album was wicked. If, if you're interested, go and check it out. Um, so, but they are really fun. So, kind of, it's someone who used to be in that band. I kind of went, oh, that makes sense. And they have also been everywhere. That makes them sound makes me sound like I'm talking about their personal lives. I'm not. I'm just saying they they are all in loads of bands. So they clearly just love the music as well, which is cool. And I think the violinist is in Vola, who are wicked. Oh, cool. Didn't see that. Uh, anyway, Fishing for an Apparition by I Am Air has been entered in the jukebox unanimously. I'm just surprised that Matt actually likes it. My pick this week, and I'm being serious this time, is to conform to my own caricature, a Dutch black metal record. Because apparently having not picked any black metal for about three months, I've now picked black metal three weeks in a row i'm gonna to have to pick something else next week otherwise i'm gonna just matt's gonna hit me even he's gonna hit his limit no, not really. <laughs> okay fair <laughs> enough I'll keep, I'll keep going um if, if i hit hit my limit let me know uh, well the last two albums i've picked have been quite fun there's actually nothing fun about this one whatsoever in fact it sounds like the end of all things because my pick this week is in one of these i am your enemy by terzida horda uh, check the episode description for the spelling of that, because if you don't speak Dutch, you can't possibly guess it. And if you do speak Dutch, you're going to be absolutely cringing slash laughing at my feeble pronunciation slash Steve McLaren impression. Um, that's a very old football reference. Um, are you old enough to have seen that that famous press conference? Mm, I don't think I've seen it. There was an English footballer, called, English football manager called Steve McLaren, Steve McLaren, who's from. I don't think he's from Middlesbrough. I think from North Yorkshire somewhere. So he speaks in speaks very northern, um, and he managed FC Twente in the Netherlands. And he did a, a press conference where he was speaking in a cod Dutch accent. And everyone went, "What the fuck is wrong with him? No, What's going I've, I've on?" I've never seen this then. But oh, I, oh I Google it. It's <laughs> hilariously funny. Anyway, that's, that's where that's where the Steve McLaren impression comes from because loads of people overseas won't get that. Anyway, this band are an absolute favourite of mine, and their last album, Self, scared the ever-living fuck out of me. And I think they've completely outdone themselves this time, even having you know thought Self was brilliant. It is frantic, it's fraught, it's terrifyingly intense, and it does not go where you expect at all. While trying to avoid spoilers, Matt, because it's quite an unexpected journey i don't want to tell you to kind of reveal too much what did you make of it yeah it's really good i don't think i'd listened to tejado Hori before um it's really it is like a lot in it it's really fucking intense like right from the off for an album that's barely that's not half an hour long yet yeah, it I is know, I know. a lot it's, it's too short i will say which is not something that we often <laughs> talk about things being too short right but it's not episode, on the pod but, okay um <laughs> Fucking didn't see her coming again. Bastard. <laughs> really? I know. Um, but I like the parts of this that I find really hypnotic, like the sort of like repeated phrases uh, and like the the bass part in the start of Precipice for one. It's really hypnotic, and you just get like properly sort of like captured by it and taken with it. Um, it does, I think, though, make like you said, a short album feel even shorter. Especially like there's a bit towards the end of the last song, Precipice, which is like I want it to carry on after that, but it's uh, it's 
it's good. I think they I think they they definitely know what they're doing, don't they? Like with that. Yeah. It's clearly structured to try and fuck with you, right? Yeah. Like that's why I'm trying not to reveal anything because the first time I listened to it I was just like what the fuck is why are they going here and they're doing that and what and uh, and it was it was very unsettling. Just the fact that it was going to these places was making me feel very uncomfortable even before you get the kind of terrifying black metal that's actually playing while it's happening. It is a clay case, though, I think, of big fucking risks sometimes being worth taking. Like, I, do, I think part of the reason I enjoy it so much is that the structure is not what it sh- kind of, quote-unquote, should be. And if they'd done how, kind of, conventionally this would be structured, I think it would be worse, and I think I would be enjoying it less. So the fact that they've done this thing, which on the, on the surface of it is like, why have you done that? Actually, it's increased my enjoyment. So I think that's a uh, you know, sometimes risks are a good thing. So you said they're one of your favourites. Like, are their previous albums more normal? <laughs> well, they've only done one other and some kind of oh. spotty releases here and there. Um, and part of the reason they're my favourites is that I've I can I kind of got introduced to one of them as by mutual mutual friend and kind of told to go and check them out. And I saw them at Roadburn like six years ago, and they fucking blew me away. Absolutely terrifying live. And I kind of, I'd heard self and gone, this is quite good. I quite like this. And I saw them live and was absolutely shit scared and went away and listened to it again and went, oh my God, that's miles better than I gave them credit for. That's really, really frightening. It was, it wasn't as unconventional as this. It's not exactly what you call like Mm. normal, (laughs) but I kind of need to come in with a caveat. I am a sucker for black metal made by Dutchies, right? To begin with. So Fluisterage. Laster, Turia, all those kind of bands. I, I I love them. Also, I am a sucker for black metal, which is kind of fraught. It sounds like it's on the edge of desperation slash existential crisis. Basically, that sounds like Ultra Plagues or Cobalt, right? Hmm. And this is kind of in that vein. If you liked either of those two bands, then you will fucking lose yourself over this. But even having kind of come in with those caveats and said, yes, I'm a mark for this kind of stuff, I was kind of blown away by how much I went and kind of got pushed back into my seat. Yeah, I I think, though, that they do manage to sort of have quite a large range of like emotionals, emotionals, amazing, um, emotions for such a, uh, you know, for such a short, um, and, you know, yeah, such a short amount of tracks and a short album. Like, it, but they go from being like really depressing to really desperate to there's some parts which do feel quite uplifting and they do that really well and also like sometimes really quickly and it sounds natural but they have like these slower atmospheric bits as well on the title track and i love those and then how they transition back into the sort of abrasive nature of it as well it sort of reminds me of um some of the parts of that latest divergana freiheit record which I think they do that really well. It's like it's a completely different thing, but that specific thing though, I think they do that mm. quite similar. No, I can see that. Cool. The thing that they do for me, I mean, actually, what I should say there is: Are you trying to say that it's not how big, how long something is? It's how well it's used. Sure, Tom. Sure. Because <laughs> it sounds like that's what you're saying. Also, that would you know that would be in the case of this that would be very true. It's it's not very long, but it's very effective. We've all got an ex like that. Uh, anyway, uh, the thing it makes me want to do is just just kind of 
constantly well not constantly because there, there, there are kind of light and shade moments but there are a lot of it makes me want to kind of scream at the night sky in anguish and confusion okay more than usual um but it just kind of it's all feeling right it's incredibly it's a vi- really visceral album it's not kind of foggy and misty and what's it all about and it's kind of a bit strange and it's a bit kind of it's it's kind of floating around the edge of your peripheral and it is right up in your grill and the album cover is kind of ferocious it's the album cover's wicked man yeah, it's really striking. And really striking and the and it feels like that right it's just this kind of field of fire coming right into your face yeah. it's all primal visceral emotion with kind of insane structure yeah he's um hopefully this is like catharsis for him because <laughs> like the vocalist specifically because he seems this is very disturbed <laughs> oh yost he's like really quite a serious academic he's if you follow him on twitter he's incredibly interesting like most of it's way above my head but he's got some real kind of he will post some stuff that is more fit, fit for lay people, which is really interesting and is really makes me think about some stuff and is kind of looking into important stuff. So he's, he's a fascinating guy. So I, pres- I presume it's because he's kind of looked at quite serious things. He needs an outlet for kind of, yeah. for all that, that heavy thinking. Anyway, in one of these, I Am Your Enemy by Terzida Horda has been added to the jukebox. And while we'll have more new music for next week, for now that is tied at the Hate Crew Gay Bar. That's bad Dutch for time. We finish, as you probably guessed, on a camp classic. This is where we take a work of metal that spoke to us as queers and explain why. And this week we are going straight into the left field, as, as the camp classic this week is Aurora by Wardruna from their 2016 album Rinaliot Ragnarok. Before we go any further, I just want to preempt any debate or people saying, oh, that's not metal. Wardruna are counted as a metal band. I know it's kind of reductive to call them that because they're, they're kind of more than that. And I know there's no guitars or bass or drum kit but dark ambient has long been included as part of metal's parish wardruna themselves are more black metal in atmosphere than most black metal bands and they're on metal archives if you want to argue about this fine you can but i've got more interesting things to discuss like what we're about to talk about speaking of which matt where do you stand on Ina selvik and his merry folk i don't know wicked it's rare that i put them on because i have to not only be in a sort of certain mood but also like I, I i can't sort of put these on in the background and sort of like get on with other stuff because it's <laughs> no. too captivating sort of thing yes like i just need to put them on and just like give it my full attention because they because they demand that of you i think very much i absolutely adore them like even if i wasn't necessarily all that keen on the last album that was a really specific personal taste thing i'm not going to go into that because it's, it's an explanation that takes ages if there are two people who are listening who are interested which seems unlikely but i might do it anyway uh, i wrote a really kind of in-depth ridiculous blog about it age when it came out which i will link to on twitter but that is kind of such a specific thing that I kind of really respected the choice that he'd made and it just wasn't for me. In the case of the first three albums, though, the Runal Yod cycle, they're all masterpieces. And Ragnarok is probably the best of them, even if we do have to deduct points for the last two songs having a kids' choirs on them. Because, uh, oh, no, not the last two songs, the penultimate two tracks. Um, just don't have kids' choirs on, on your albums, but it, it almost never works. 
like Nightwish are allowed a pass because they've done it successfully a number of times, but anyone else just don't, yeah. don't, don't. Yeah, Ticking Machine Head. Yeah, no, don't do it, don't do it. As much as that album had the kids' choir on, it also had this song, which with the possible exception, well, almost certainly with the exception of Helvegan, I think is probably their best one. It's absolutely kind of entrancing and hypnotic and profoundly vibrant and human magic. Also, they are unbelievable live, particularly if you get them in a sit-down venue. I'm really annoyed that I missed their tour because I'd moved. Like, it was going to be coming to right where I lived when it was originally supposed to happen, but then COVID happened, and I moved, and by the time it was rescheduled, <laughs> I'd moved, and it was going nowhere near me. So I had to miss them, and I'm gutted, because they were... St- the first time I saw them live was, I think, at the Queen Elizabeth Hall on the South Bank, which was a sit-down gig, and it was utterly incredible like people were in tears at the end of it people were kind of hugging each other and just being like this is one of the most magical things we've ever seen and i think that might have been their debut uk show or at least their like second uk show they are just unreal life unbelievable everyone was crying at devil sword us all the other night but <laughs> very different reasons i think but is that just because their music is really sad yeah, pretty much. Yeah, okay. I think yeah, I think there was some kind of life affirming joy towards it. Yeah. Though it's really dark, it is there is something really affirming about it. Um, on to why it's a camp classic though, uh, as it's in Old Norse and the lyrics are inspired by the runes of the Elder Futark, uh, and are, and the, in the case of this song specifically, are about birth from ice. I mm. would understand entirely if you got Sweet Adam's Fanny from this, Matt. Mm. But did you get anything that spoke to your queer side? No, I mean, even if I translated the lyrics, there's only fucking three lines of them anyway. Um, yeah. There's no, virtually really. no lyrics, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where you're going. Is it something to do with a lion? Is it a lion? Well, I, I don't, don't know. know. I'm Fuck it. Okay, so it's not that then. It's not the animal noises. I don't okay. know. No, no idea. No, it's not the animal noises. <laughs> um, the song has this kind of incredibly slow, patient build. It's really minimalist in its construction and it's incredibly clever. Ina Silvik is a master of song construction. I don't know how he learned to do this but it's like listen to Philip Glass. It's amazing. Anyway, it's, it, it's got the slow patient build which is kind of dark and often quite scary and there's this solo horn that comes in that kind of really sounds like it's kind of travelling alone through the world until it's kind of answered by another horn which is is there kind of briefly in passing sounds almost like someone just passing just out of reach and then slowly there are other horns that answer it as well and then you just get this clear voice which is Ina Sertlwerk coming in in, with something that sounds like agony and ecstasy all at once and then you get this massed throng of of voices that come in and you realise actually despite if it felt like this kind of musical journey you've been on feels like you were alone you never were there were always this kind of this mass of voices there waiting to to come in and what was incredibly dark and and quite frightening becomes absolutely exquisitely wonderful uh, and what the solo stuff and the the darkness does kind of creep back in it doesn't stay the mass choir and the warmth returns and that's what carries on until the end uh, oh, and there's some slightly worrying grunting that happens along the way as well and if anyone has a more kind of beautiful effortless capturing of the queer experience i haven't heard it because that right there is the queer experience it's in like te- in one 10 minute song with lyrics that have nothing to do with it yeah that was that was really interesting that's well profound <laughs> um yeah because i i mean that you know obviously that was my uh 
trouble. Not not just the you know there's only three lines of lyrics and there are notes, but like you know it's ten minutes of instrumental stuff. I was like, why the fuck mm. is he going with this? But that it does actually make a hell of a lot of sense. And like you say, that is I think ninety nine percent of us that can relate to all of those parts, if if not sort of just you know singular ones. But so how did how did that come to you in the first place? Like when did you sort of start thinking of it like that? I don't know. I mean, bear in mind, I have li- you say you can't listen to them a lot. I listen to them a lot. So it is, it is partially just kind of sitting with stuff for ages. And as you point out, it's about you can't sit with Wardroon and just kind of have them on the background because you find yeah. they're very distracting. And you just you find yourself, you know, if you're trying to read while listening to Wardroon and forget it, you're going to find yourself just listening to what they're, they're playing. And it is ha- having listened to kind of thousands of plays of of, of Wardruna, you know, number of kind of my play count on songs by them overall must be in the thousands by now. You just kind of start drawing your own meanings from it. And it is part that Ian has been quite clear because obviously because of what they're, what they're doing, which is basically making music that could have been played by the Vikings. There's a load of fucking Nazis who've tried to kind of claim it, and he's been quite clear that no, don't. This is not about hankering for something that's old. This is about no. taking something that's old and creating something new with it. This is about going forward. We're not looking back. We're not trying to go to a past which is gone. And it being really clear, he's thought about what this is, and it's not just kind of some... It's not playing dress-up and make-believe for something that's not real, right? It's trying to create something real and that kind of i suppose kicked me off thinking about it it's also though that because i've tried to write about them i have listened to songs just when i've just listened to them at length and tried to describe them and doing that has kind of made me take meaning from it and i think it was one point i was just listening to it and going it was the it must have been when Ina's voice came in and i just kind of went that's like the moment you work out who you are and that you're not alone and that you're, you're not strange. You're just queer and that it's other people don't understand you. Which we all need to hear. Um, and I think it sort of speaks volumes to how powerful music is and can be if, you know, this, if that is something that's told to you through something other than lyrics. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, like I said, obviously I didn't get it with this, but I, one of my favourite bands, like, in the world are Sigurós who are quite similar in a lot of ways to Wardruna um, and you know a lot of their stuff is before they went Hoppipola anyway they only really did that for one album though well two maybe but yeah like a lot of their stuff is you know really ambient and very little vocals and all that sort of stuff and you know the vocals are obviously in either Icelandic or this language that they made up which is pretty cool and but yeah I, like to a lot of their songs I have my own meanings even though I don't know really what the fuck is actually being sang about if anything at all so it is really uh impressive and really like a telling of how music can fucking play with us i guess <laughs> yeah it's kind of why i like bands singing in their own language because yeah. there is this thing that load of bands just sing in english because they want it to sound like the bands that they fell in love with when they're a kid so you've got a load of people who fell in love with Maiden and said, well, the, they sing in English and Black Sabbath the same. We want to sing in that as well. And then you have the same thing with Metallica and Slayer and so on and so forth. And before you know it, it's become the kind of lingua franca of metal, not necessarily yeah. because of that's a good choice, but just because of who started playing it. And 
I really like that a load of people said, well, can we sing in our own language? We're better at it and we can do things with it that are different. Like, a, a, I like being able to understand them, but at the same time, I don't need to. And people doing something like this, where it is just unique, and it would have sounded so silly in English, and it, yeah. it would have been distracting. It wouldn't have allowed me to take this meaning from it. No, and it gives you it gives you a completely different experience, doesn't it? Because you've managed to take this meaning away from it because of the sort of lack of English and stuff. Like, some, some, some bands could maybe tell this same story through the lyrics, but it's cool to have both, um, you know, both aspects explored. Yeah, yeah, very much. It also is, though, that I love how much it takes something that starts really dark and it ends up feeling really positive. Because it it could just have been this... Like, it, the first album is dark. And don't, there's not too much lightness on the first water in the record. Now, brilliant album. Don't get me wrong, I love it. It's great. But it is very dark and swirling and there's not really anything resembling lightness at all. And I don't think you could have taken this kind of message from, from it. The second album's got more of a clear thread to it. Like, you know where it's going. And the, the, there's more that it's obvious what it's about. Mm. So, for, particularly the first song and the last, where you know exactly what it's talking about because it's made pretty clear and Ina talks about it If for anyone who's not listening at the back. And... That as a result meant that it would have been difficult to kind of take something like this from it. But because this is much more loose, there's the odd song. Like, the what actually, there is one song where I will give them a pass for using the kids' choir, which is Joy or, or Udal, which, which is the, I think the Joy Rune. Because loads of people who have kids, their kids are their joy, right? And if, if that's you, you're going, well, the first thing I think about when I think of joy is my children. We should probably have kids on this album. And the other one is, the other song is kind of heritage, but I kind of, that song's worse. So <laughs> that song's ruined by the kids' choir. So that's a different thing. So you kind of know what they're singing about there. But with, with this, I haven't got a bloody clue, even having read the translation. And so the, it's just let me take much more of my own thing from it. Yeah. And it's, it's, God. Such a wonderful song, though. It, it's so much feeling that I can't... You can't not think about it. I, I, I struggle to imagine listening to this not trying to think what's it all about because it's so profound, but the lyrics yeah. are just really simple. Yeah, well, I mean, there are those bands that obviously have lyrics and sometimes if they're hard to interpret, they'll sort of say, you know, take your own meaning away from them, which I think is pretty cool on its own. But obviously for something like this, it's even more apparent because yeah. you know that's that's what you have to do, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you always need to kind of say slightly where you're standing on things, Dep particularly if people are going to try and misuse what you're saying. No, yeah. So, so Ina saying no, I'm not having you saying this is in support of some kind of atavistic, retrograde, you know, white nationalist nonsense. This that's not what I do. Not pervert my music with that. I think that's that kind of thing. You kind of you sometimes do need to do but at the same time leaving kind of loads up to people's imagination i think is really helpful changing to tack completely kill switch engage for example are often quite vague about some of their lyrics but because they're kind of really personal and they're obviously singing about something real that people are able to attach their own meanings from it and a yeah, lot of their, yeah. yeah a lot of their songs kind of mean an awful lot to what to people who don't actually know what it's originally about because they take it, put their own thing on it 
it's just unfortunate that if you're doing something that's a bit more nebulous, you can have people misinterpret it, which is where you need to put some opinion. Like the, like the story I've told loads of times about Anil Nathrak and their song, The Final Absolution, which they had to say, don't you fucking dare assume it's part of that. We will kick your face in. Um, anyway, I think, though, that is Aurora by the absolutely majestic Wardruna explained. We will have another Camp Classic for you next week when Untouchable Part 1 by Anathema will be up for discussion. Uh, we'll also hopefully... Sorry. Just your request to uh, get me into ridiculous pop metal continues. <laughs> pop metal? It's prog, dear. Really? Anathema? Yeah. Really? It's, yeah. Well, it's, I think it got dubbed post-prog, which doesn't mean anything. It's yeah. just It's just prog. But it's yeah, they they. they well, I mean, were. the same could be applied. <laughs> You're also trying to get me more into Brock, so yeah, because like loads of it's really good. I mean, some of it's nonsense, obviously, but loads of metal's nonsense, so yeah, that's fine. Um, it was loads loads of everything's nonsense. There's loads of kind of absolutely boring as fuck classical music that I won't have anyone try and stick up for. Uh, but you know, some of it is just like some of the most exquisitely wonderful stuff ever written. Yeah. Someone's going to try and tell me Spiegel in Spiegel that isn't the most heartbreaking thing they've ever heard. Then they're probably lying. Uh, anyway, I've gone off one on one. Anyway, we would next week we talk about Untouchable Part One by Anathema. We'll also hopefully have a genuinely fascinating in my King of Queer for you. As if I can sort out a technical thing with it, we're going to be talking with someone who helps make metal happen. Who's barely out, which is always an absolutely fascinating time in someone's life. Uh, we'll also have music for the Hatred Gay Bar for you in the shape of Darker, Mornagarm, uh, and one other if I can pull my finger out of my arse and make up my mind. That, though, is all we have for HBFM 75. Uh, Matt, it's been grim and frostbitten. Oh, it was good. I enjoyed that. It was interesting. I learned a lot. Education. Oh, education is the silver bullet, as was said in the West Wing. And I don't know where that quote came into my head, but apparently I've watched that show too many times. Uh, until next week, though, listen to Iron Man, listen to Terzé de Horda, and remember, Der Fey, Der Freunde, Der Sial for it summer, Ed Vetain, Ataldredeer, Dommer and Dalden Vern. Oh, and it does get better. Siamst. I agree. <laughs>